I knew it was going to be a good night when me and a bunch of other female people were going back to South Orange on New Jersey Transit. I hear this chant, kegs on the green, kegs on the green. I'm like, oh, shit, it's going to go down like that, huh? <laughs> Although there were no kegs on the green, I did party my ass off. These are the tales of college basketball past as you've never heard them before. Our guests tell stories blending team seasons, on and off court moments, memories of personal fandom catastrophe and elation, and yes, alcohol. I'm Jeremy. I'm Matt. And I'm Pat. We do the work, you tell the story. These are the college basketball stories. I'm Tim Best, host of the Igloo Podcast, the coolest podcast in college basketball about the Big East, also known as The Real Timmy Ice on Twitter and Instagram. And today, I'm going to tell you the story of the 2015-16 Seton Hall Pirates. So, let's backtrack before we even get to this. Let's let's rewind 10 years. 2006, Seton Hall makes the NCAA tour for the second time in three years. Get back to the first round, and inexplicably, the program fires Louis Orr, who had just led them to those two appearances in three years. In, in Into his seat comes Bobby Gonzalez, who had just led Manhattan to a tournament win a couple years earlier. Unfortunately, that same success would not translate, and really the only real highlight was when Jim Spinarkle in a post-game interview congratulated him and stumbling over his words, congratulating him on good sex in the Big East thus creating the horny Big East. True story, kids. Um, to which he replied, thank you, Jimmy, and kind of just shrugged it off and just walked off the court. And that was after a big one over Louisville, but that was one of very few highlights. His teams were, you know, they got into a lot of trouble off the court. And his last game as the head coach in the first round of the NIT in 2010, uh, they're playing Texas Tech, and Herb Pope gets ejected for throwing a low blow and it was a hard low blow right to the nuts on a Texas Tech player. And by then, from what I heard from people that I've come to know, that atmosphere at Prudential Center that night was so hostile against the team and against specifically Bobby Gonzalez that they wanted Bobby's head right then and there. Seton Hall loses the game, and not there long, not long after, Bobby finally gets fired. And not even that long after, he gets caught shoplifting. So, yeah, I don't think you need to say more about that. But instead, in March of that year, might have been April, but I can't, it was either late March or early April, they hire Kevin Willard out of Iona, who his father, Ralph, pretty damn good coach himself and had experience in the old Big East with Pitt. So Willard comes in with a lot of Bobby Gonzalez's guys, but he had some good ones. He had Jeremy Hazell, Jordan Theodore, her Pope, when he wasn't punching guys in the nuts, was pretty good. And first year, obviously, had some struggles. Like, they beat Syracuse, and they whacked him. I think they beat him by, like, 20-plus. I wasn't there, but I remember watching on TV. I'm like, whoa, okay. So, okay, that's a, that's a step in the right direction. 2012, they should have made the tournament had they not collapsed in the last week of the season. Should they have made it, you can make the case for it. But when you lose to Rutgers and DePaul to end the season like that, 
yeah, no, you ain't going to make it, especially with some of the teams that did get in. Uh, but they get a top seed in the NIT, and they get bounced in the second round. And then the following year, obviously, you can't recreate that. You know, I think they went like 3-15 and 15 in the league. They played in the worst Big East tournament game of all time that year. They played South Florida. I think they only won like 46-42 in overtime. <laughs> I just hear from Seton Hall fans, they're like, that was the worst game of basketball, especially for those that witnessed it in the Garden, the worst game of basketball they'd ever seen in their lives. And they're probably justified in that. So with this – with the old Big East imploding, the new Big East was kind of like, you know, hey, this is a chance for us to breathe some new life into this program. And essentially, we now have a second chance to make something of ourselves in a league where you don't have as many teams. You also have some new guys in the league that, you know, still got to prove themselves. I mean, you had Xavier, which was a good program. Butler had just gone to back-to-back title games, although Brad Stevens had just moved on to the Celtics by then. And then you had Creighton, who happened to have Doug McDermott. And that dude balled that year. I think he had over a thousand points just in that season. I mean, he's top. I think he's top six all time in the history of college basketball scoring. But that's just because his dad only drew up plays for him. I mean, you can make that argument. <laughs> but with this new Big East, Seenall, they got a chance to make something of themselves. And first year didn't seem that way because they went six and twelve in the league. They're eighth in the conference. But here's the positive at the end of the year. They beat Butler in the first round of the tournament to move on to the quarterfinals. They're playing number three Villanova, who's the top seed. And basically, Villanova basically just has to avoid losing this game to avoid not getting a number one seed. Seton Hall's like, nah, fuck that. We're, we're going to ruin their day. 12 noon, like, we don't care that we just played at 7 and 9 in a game that was 51 to 50. We're, we're going to come right out, and we're going to ruin their time. But the reason why they got the two seed is because Seton Hall beat them on a buzzer beater by Sterling Gitt. Uh, But, you know, that's those are the positives on the court. Off the court, there was a lot of shit going on. And what that shit was, putting together the best recruiting class probably since the 90s. Actually, no, probably since 2000. Because that was the, you know, you know, the Eddie Griffin class. And Andre Barrett, I believe, was part of that class, too. I mean, that was a damn good recruiting class that they brought in in 2000. But in 2014, they bring in this really, really good recruiting class, top 20 nationally. You get a McDonald's All-American headlining in the man I call the prophet, Isaiah Whitehead. And, I, you know, I don't really call him the prophet without exaggeration because, to me, I think he was the prophet because of the fact that, you know, he could have gone to a big school, but he chose to stay local and come to Seton Hall to try to resurrect a program that had made the tournament since 2006. And he brought a lot of dogs with him from New York City and specifically from his hometown of Brooklyn, not from Coney Island, where Isaiah is from, Kadeen Carrington, who those two have become what we know now as the Brooklyn boys. And, you know, at the time, Dino was the leading scorer all time at Bishop Lachlan, another really good school. And then Whitehead from Lincoln brought his high school teammate with him, Desi Rodriguez, a.k.a. Duncan Desi. I mean, lefty, just thunderous dunks. I mean, it was electrifying, but up until, you know, after his freshman year, I mean, he didn't really have a jump shot by then. It took him some time, but, you know, once he fully came together, which I'll touch on later, so dynamic and dangerous. I mean, he actually led the team in scoring as a senior. I mean, that's as crazy as it sounds. And then the front court, let's talk about that. Bring in divine intervention in the form of Angel Lagana. Uh, Gene Teague was graduating 
You know, and he just made it to the All Big East tournament team. Angel Delgado, six foot nine, six ten, out of the Dominican Republic, rebounding menace. I mean, couldn't do anything past the free throw line, but really good scoring the ball, really good rebounding the ball. And funny thing, in he was shockingly a really good passer as we came to see over time. I mean, he was an assist away from a triple double in the Big East tournament as a junior. So, I mean, and as we, and most of we, most of what we know now, as a senior, he broke Derek Coleman's all-time Big East rebounding record, which is a record that stood for nearly 30 years, and Angel crushed that thing. I mean, there's no shot he's going to break the Steve Hall all-time rebounding record because a certain Walter Dukes, who he grabbed like 700-plus rebounds in one year. Jesus. Um, that, but that was, the fi- that was the 50s. I mean, you're seven-footer, and, you know, when, you, when you're out there with guys who are like, you know, at tallest six eight most of the time, at the at the very highest six eight. Of course, you're going to grab like forty rebounds a game. Of course you are. But Angel, I mean, he still re- he led the country in rebounding as a junior. Shockingly, not really shockingly. I mean, at six ten, it, it's a shock. But considering his prowess on the boards, best rebounder I've ever seen in person. I mean, he closed his college career out with a twenty four point twenty three rebound performance against Kansas in Wichita, and I saw it. Which, uh, you know, I, I can obviously, you know, save a little bit on that towards the end in terms of, you know, the overall legacy of the group. And then the, the hidden gem, I mean, we could talk about Michael Lindsay, who was a redshirt uh, when all those other guys played. But the diamond in the rough was Ishmael Sonogo, who was a Newark kid. I mean, talk about some rough shit growing up. This, this, this kid at nine years old was living in New Orleans when Hurricane Katrina hit. Peace. And, you know... He got taught toughness at a, at a young age, especially, you know, growing up in that time and then going to going to Newark. And, you know, he, he was made tough in that city by Eastside High where he came out of. But, man, that recruiting class, you could just tell, like, this is the group that's going to change everything. And early on, yeah, it seemed that way. And what happened was they start 7-0. They win the Paradise Jam. And it was really bizarre how they did it. But still, a 7-0 start, like, you know, you have the preseason freshman of the year in Isaiah Whitehead. And you're picked sixth in the Big East. Like, people are thinking, okay, this team can do something. You know, they get humbled a couple times. Halfway through, we're five and four in the league. Essentially, you need four to five more wins. And, like, okay, this is legit NCAA tournament team at this point. Hell, I'll even take an NIT bid. But the month of February, cold and brutal. And it started losing at DePaul. Like, okay, we can stomach that. But we play Marquette at home, and they're missing Matt Carlino as their leading scorer. But we lose to them without Carlino. We got Georgetown next. And Georgetown, that was the last time they were actually, like, top 25 good. At least I think so. So, and that game was just horrific. Georgetown started off hot. They were kicking our ass. Seahawk comes back, makes it manageable to have. And then Georgetown just turns the gas on again and blows the doors open. And then you see this rift. Sterling and Isaiah jawing at each other before a timeout, and I'm pissed at it. You know, like, the fans are pissed. Everyone's pissed at this point because, you are like, we're supposed to be a cohesive unit. We're looking like a tournament team, at least a postseason team, and here we are just imploding in front of everyone. And losing by 19 to Georgetown was bad enough. The next day, we find out via social media, Jaron Cena quit the team. And... There, of course, all this undertones come of like Jaron's the only white guy on the team, really, and like he was getting shit. And um, so there, 
it was just a it was just a shit show. It was just absolutely fucking terrible. Like it was bad enough that we lost three in a row. But to get all this unnecessary drama on top of it, <laughs> on top of a guy quitting, like come on. Like it was like really it was really, you know, like again, kicking a guy while he's down. I mean, at least the response at Providence, the game after that wasn't bad. Like, they lost by seven against a team that had, you know, the biggest future two-time biggest player of the year, Chris Dunn, and a lottery pick, mind you. But uh, so this is where shit gets ugly. They go to Villanova on a Monday night at the Pavilion before the renovation. So even scarier to play in, especially against a Villanova team that was as good as they were that year. And Seton Hall, no surprise, getting killed in that game. And in the second half, Ryan Archidiakono steals it from Sterling Gibbs. Sterling, being frustrated and understandably so, tries to go for the loose ball, but in doing so, clocks Archidiakono in the face with his fist. <laughs> I want to believe he went for the ball. I really do, because that's what it looked like on the replay. But the second he clocked him, boom, right on, basically right on the nose, I'm like, oh, okay, like that's that's excessive. That's got to be. That's got to be an ejection. And, and that was loss number five in a row of six because they lost at St. John's the next day. And St. John's fans being the smart asses they are, and rightfully so from New York City, and especially from Queens, um, they start chanting, where is Sterling? And also Jer and Cena. I'm like, they ripped us pretty good that game. Like, I, I, and especially coming from a former student section president, those are good ribs. I'll give them that. You know, I'll give a golf clap to that. And at that at this point, you know, they got a bye week. And I'm like, you know what? You had your last game on the last day of February. Let's just fucking win this game against a, a bad Creighton. A Creighton team that been playing better, but a bad Creighton team nonetheless in the first year without Dougie McBuckets. And we go down big. I think we're down double digits at the half. And of all people, Harold's fucking Carlos, nicest guy ever, by the way, from Latvia, comes off the bench and just starts hitting three after three and then – he essentially inspires, you know, Dino and Angel to go off in the second half. Angel gets a putback for the win. They get a big defensive stop. They win the game. Like, hallelujah, they finally won a game for the first time in 28 days. Almost an entire calendar month. And on the last day, finally getting a win. That obviously, good things come to an end eventually. And that good thing came to an end awfully fast. You know, they lose to Providence. They lose that Georgetown a game where, you know, they never led. And then Biggie's tournament, okay. Rubber match against Marquette. We could take care of this. We could win this game. They have Carlino. We beat him with him. So whatever. Not only does Seton Hall lose, they're down 32-14 in the late in the first half. They somehow get it down to 32-22. And then Steve Taylor being obese, by the way. I mean, I'm not like Chris O'Toole obese, but he's chubby. He get he toys up a prayer at the horn from three, bakes that in, and you could just tell once that goes in, the air out of our section was taken out, the air out of the scene hall bench was taken out. Like you could just tell, okay, it's over. They're not recovering from this, especially the young team like that, mentally recovering. Like there's no way, and you could tell they're checked out because the scene hall gets bounced by 22, and a lot of us were believing, like you know, especially for that showing and all the. BS that just happened over the past month, there's no way Kevin Willard's coming back. But Pat Lyons, the AD, and Pat's a great guy, upstanding person, he gives Kevin Willard, who also was his coach when he was the AD at Iona, he gives him one more chance. 
you know, if you don't make the tournament this year, basically, in terms of being on the hot seat, that much is known. I don't know what it was said in that conference between those two, but the overall message was this. If you don't make the NCAA tournament with this group, even with losing Sterling Gibbs to UConn, obviously with Jaron Cena quitting and losing a few seniors, including Carlos, Steph Manga, who shockingly couldn't make a, a point-blank layup if he tried because uh, he was too confused whether he wanted to dunk or lay it up. You know, and then Brandon Mobley, who was, you know, the only real contributor from the senior class. And then he had a couple other guys transfer, like Shira Ju clearly wasn't cut out for D1. He transfers. And then a couple other guys uh, dipped as well. Like Trayvon Morton was a walk-on who was the son of, you know, legendary coach Tiny Morton at Lincoln. Uh, so he moved to a managerial position, which I think he was, yeah, I think he was more meant for that. I think he was more of, you could tell he's more of an administrative guy and that's how he carries himself. So shout, shout out to Trey on that one, by the way. Um, but overall, you could just tell, you know, there's going to be a big difference with this group. And you got to have the right pieces. Even with those guys departing, still got to make the tournament somehow, some way. Because that recruiting class, too good uh, to not make a tournament. Especially, like, I know may have been pushing it a, a year early. But, you know, considering it, it, we're coming on 10 years now, not making the tournament. You got you, it's put up for shovel time. You got you got to do it right now because you've already gone five years without making the tournament. You got to do it right now, especially again. You have all this talent. You got to do something with it now. And now the only thing they were missing before we talk about the games itself is that senior leader now. And thank God they got it. And it was again, pun intended, a flash in the pan. And that was Derek Gordon, who you know he was making more headlines and undeservedly so for being that first openly gay college basketball player he came out in 2014 and it, it, a lot of people were talking like you know it's really weird he's choosing a catholic university to play college basketball for his last year but he's a new jersey guy and he fit the mold of that team being gritty and tough city kids new york city new jersey kids he fit the mold and as we're going to come to find out he was the missing piece so preseason um so the freshman that we brought in really wasn't anywhere close to the great recruiting class that Willard had just brought in the year prior. But that year, um, one of my best friends, Nick Romano, who was a manager on the team, I roomed with him, thankfully, um, in the tallest on-campus building, Xavier Hall at Seton Hall. And it's really ironic that it says Xavier Hall and we got Xavier in the Big East. And, but I mean, yeah, it is what it is. It's a nice building. And my sweet mate is one of the freshmen, Veer Singh. And Veer was the guy who probably got the most time out of anyone on that any one of the freshmen on that team. So um, so I meet preseason with the Dobo at Seton Hall, Ryan Whalen, who's now an assistant now at St. Peter's. Uh, and, you know, like the message is pretty clear. You know, um, you know, you're part of the program now. You know, we expect, you know, to have the same standards as all the players, coaches, personnel, whatever. Now that you're, you know, rooming with, uh, you know, Nick and, you know, your sweet mate. So I'm like, you know what, bet, I got it. You know, we'll, we'll be good. No need to worry. And, you know, like I met the guys more and I became more personable with them, you know, especially the guys that were my age. And, you know, like, I mean, I was living right next to Angel Delgado. Angel Delgado was the next was the next room over. And then Dalton Silver, another one of the freshmen, was the suite over from that. So um, obviously living with them was an interesting experience, to say the least. And. And, and so a couple of the guys like Derek Gordon, you know, was living, you know, in an off campus, you know, like still like it was like, you know, a residence hall, but it was like slightly off campus. 
But the one guy that was probably the most interesting out of all had to be Braden Anderson. I mean, didn't, guy didn't see the court a lot that year, but I mean, the dude, the dude was doing college basketball at a high D1 level and law school at the same time. So that um, I, I gotta appreciate the hustle from uh, from Braden, especially coming from uh, you know Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Um, and coming over here, you know, he had a checkered pass. You know, he got into a car accident that, you know, derailed him from getting to Kansas, you know, being a high-level recruit. And, you know, like he got to Fresno State, you know, had some injuries. But, you know, for him to come to Seton Hall and, like, choose law school, I mean, I mean, how many guys are going to do that? Like, I mean, Braden's probably one in one that's ever done it. And, you know, uh, and when I got to meet Derek, you know, like, I realized, you know, like, Derek is not just some, you know, LGBTQ, you know, freedom fighter. He's a genuinely nice guy who, you know, has a lot of family values. And also, you know, in the same vein, you know, was a guy who I'd never seen a guy that driven before because he was trying to make history that year because before him, no one had gone to the NCAA tournament with three different schools. And he'd already done it with two at Western Kentucky and UMass. So he was trying to make history that year. And he's like, there's no way, as a senior, there's no way that I'm going to let myself miss the tournament and do something that nobody else has ever done before. So he probably has more pride in that than being the first openly gay college basketball player. That's the kind of guy Derek is. He's a he's a fighter. He's a, I've never seen a guy just play the game as scrappy and as hard as him as, in that particular season, too, because, I mean, you could just diving after every loose ball. I mean, we talk about Archie diving for loose balls. Derek was diving just about on everything, diving to get steals, so on. I mean, you could I – mean, I had to, you know, pick him up after he dove for a loose ball, and I'm pretty sure he needed a cheerleader in the face. Um, so I'm <laughs> sorry to her, but, you know, like me and one of my best friends picked him up, and we just we just looked at him like, this dude's hustle. I love it. Like, and he fit in perfectly. So, however, with that whole group, I'm like, you know what? I really believe this is a tournament team, but, the, it, you know, show me, don't tell me. That exhibition game against Baruch didn't really tell me that it was a tournament team. You saw some good stuff, like, okay, Ishmael Snowga could be a starter. Desi could be a starter. We already know Isaiah, Dino, and Angel are probably going to start. Those two guys and their emergence was big. Michael Enzi, who had redshirted the year before, over, it was bullshit because the really funny thing is about Mike Enzi. The dude's really smart. He got an MBA in five years. He's working on Wall Street now. And he, and he came over from Nigeria as a teenager. Um, and the funny thing about Mike Enzi, my freshman year, the year he redshirted, I was flunking sociology. And usually the story is, you know, oh, it's the smart guy that's got to help out the uh, the student athlete get by in, in his classes. It was the other way around. Mike was a Mike was a fucking genius. He still is. And he helped me, you know, I aced the final. I got to be in sociology. And it was all because of Mike Enzi. Um, so again, Mike, I still owe you for that one. Even though I kind of returned the favor on your senior day, senior day by getting a Nigerian flag, I still owe you for that one. Cause I mean, I probably would have lost my scholarship that I flunked it. Um, <laughs> the game against Baruch on Halloween. Oh my, if we lost a Baruch, you just think like, oh shit, this is not going to go well. And Seton Hall thankfully won, but they won by five and they needed a 40 piece from Isaiah Whitehead to win. And, I mean, you know, I felt bad about that for a while, and then I saw not too much later. St. John's in the first year of the Chris Mullen era loses an exhibition game to nearby St. Thomas Aquinas, 90-58. to 58. <laughs> And I'm like, you know what? 
I don't feel as bad anymore. I th- I'm good. Let's 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 focus on Dartmouth now. So the really funny thing is about opening night with Dartmouth. Me and my buddies are waiting in the in line in the box office at Prudential Center, and on the TV monitor, I remember seeing the news out of France that there was like a terrorist attack, like a bombing, I think it was. And I'm just like crestfallen, like, oh my god, like, like it almost killed my move before even like getting to my seats, like. It sucked, but, you know, like, you know, we got there. I'm like, shit, we got a basketball game to play. Let's wake up. Let's, let's have some fun. And <laughs> by the second half. <laughs> <laughs> so by the second half, you know, like, Seton Hall is kind of pulling away. And for the for those of you listening from Seton Hall and have been students and know about this, just the, the fans in general are supposed to know about this. So our dance team is known as the Sapphires. And up until maybe a few years ago when uh, – the coach there who, you know, is a former Sapphire herself, you know, she saw like, okay, the, the formula before is not good because we're getting mocked for it. And the formula was lots of hair flips. And it became such a running joke with the student section that they would start counting every time they did a hair flip. And on this particular night against Dartmouth, and there's video evidence of it, by the way, if you just look up five more hours Sapphires, you can hear the entire student section yelling out every single time there's a hair flip. And a lot of them, you know, it's coming and you, the anticipation you're like, especially one where they're like, kind of like dipping their heads, you know, like, and they're like dipping their heads stuff like that. Like, you know, what's coming. And then all of a sudden you hear four, like, like some nights it was like, you can hear, like, if you, if you watch that video, like you can hear it over everything, everybody in that building heard it. And the really funny thing is, after the game, so I was friends with a few of the Sapphires, you know, because they were my grade. I get a text message from one of them, and it read, quote, Timmy Ice, what the fuck was that? And I'm like, you know, you know, I, it wasn't just me. Every, I didn't tell everybody. That. They just did it. <laughs> because they just kind of get indoctrinated. Like, they learn about it, and they just do it. Like, it's not my fault. Like, shit like again you can't boil it down to just me because but because i'm more seen as someone who you know at some points would have a chef apron on with chef boyardine on it and the number zero because kadeen wanted me to start calling him that because he did the james harden cooking celebration so i'm like you know, <laughs> let's get a full chef's apron and write chef boyardine on it uh i wish that took off dino was a good nickname but chef boyardine oh my goodness you could have done a lot more with that but anyways <laughs> because I was more seen, again, like I became the target. Like again, the, that was all the text message said. Timmy Ice, what the fuck was that? <laughs> and I'm just, go, I'm like, like I don't want to like to quote Kendrick, but not to be misogynistic, but like don't kill my vibe. We just won. <laughs> so, so, so that's how opening night went. And you know, had a hiccup against Long Beach State in the Charleston Classic. You know, like okay, whatever. We bounced back and won a couple. But the big what if is, you know, had they beaten Long Beach State, they would have gotten Virginia. It was a one seed that year. But again, it didn't happen. You know, focus on the here and now. They win the next two games there. They beat Georgia in a revenge game for Isaiah because he got hurt against them. And he hit the dagger against them, which was huge. They lose at GW. Ish separates his shoulder. Wasn't a dislocation. He separated. So he only missed this game at Rutgers, which is the, the Garden State Harbor Classic, which has become a big thing now. Uh, but back then, when Eddie Jordan was the head coach at Rutgers, his teams were dog shit. So we beat them by, like, 27 the year before at home. And early on, like, okay, we got a shootout. It's, it's, we're up 13. Okay. 
but we blow the doors off them in the second half. And, you know, you could tell with that win, especially with, you know, some of the changes that were made, like Veer started over Desi. Derek got the start. And keep in mind, this is a guy who started every year in college, except for this particular year. Like he happily took a bench role to lift those sophomores up, which again, test to, to uh, Derek's character. And then Mike Ensi gets the start for the, for his first career start. He gets a double-double in his first career start. I think he had, like, 13 and 13. And then Angel got a double-double himself, and he wins MVP of the game. And, like, you could just tell, okay, like, now we got our shit straight. Let's just – we got a four-game homestand to close on Nikon. Let's let's cruise through it. First game's against Troy, though. It was an ugly game. They ended up winning by nine. Like, Desi had a couple of big highlight dunks. But the real highlight, the, the best thing that happened in that game was the game within the game. And when I say that – me versus John Fanta in, in a three-on-three three <laughs> at halftime. So Seat Hall Intramurals did this three-on-three three tournament where the finalists would face each other in halftime of the Troy game. My team and John Fanta's team make the final, and they pit us up against each other. So literally, people were talking about this for all, over a week, like in anticipation of this game. And again, like, you know, I wanted to win. I know Fanta wanted to win, too. But at the end of the day, at least for me, I wanted to put on a show. Because people have been talking about this. I'm like, you know what? They want a show. Let's give it to them. And that's exactly what we did. I mean, the theatrics were there, too. I mean, you know, we were hitting you know, we we're hitting shots on each other. We were staring each other down. I mean, we gave the people what they wanted. I wish there was video evidence. But there are pictures of Fanta bodying me down low. I mean, Fanta's a big dude. I mean, he's, you know, about like six feet, six one, maybe. And I'm like 5'10-ish on a good day. And but Vance's, because of his size, you know, he was able to get an advantage on me down low. And he got the game-winning basket on me because he, he caught me slipping. He pumped fake, then he got a, up and under on me. I was like, shit. And now I'm trying to play hero ball and, you know, tie it up, to, you know, before the <laughs> halftime buzzer ends. I couldn't get it, you know, like for me, Timmy Ice to not live up to that and come in clutch with ice in my veins. Yeah, that that hurt, that hurt my pride for a while. But at the end of the day, you know, I look back on it and like, I, did, did I want to win? Yeah. But did I need to win? Nah. Because at the end of the day, again, me and fans, it was the game of the century. It lived up to the hype. And that's all that matters. I think I've seen some of the uh, ticket stubs going on eBay for, for high dollars that game. <laughs> I, I think I have – I still have my ticket stuff from that game. I kept everything from all four years. I might try to sell it now too because that, you know, no disrespect to like, you know, Michael Jackson and Prince at the Super Bowl halftime show. That was the halftime show to end all halftime shows. Call him out. Call him out. Rest in peace. All right. Both of them. Oh, oh yeah. I don't, I don't want to fade Prince and MJ like that. I mean, no, <laughs> no, no disrespect. Um, so, anyways, we beat St. Peter's, and now we got this big game, Wichita State. And they got that home and home rematch, and it's the first time Seton Hall's playing on Fox, like actual Fox, not FS1, like the Fox that everyone in the country gets. And you know, you know, it's a big deal. Tim Brandle's calling the game, and the great Jim Jackson, you know. I mean, people talk about how good of a player he was. Great analyst as well. So he's on the call for this game, and, you know, this is like our chance. Like, okay, we have a chance to make a statement to the entire country that, like, this team's legit. And what better way to drum this up? We're breaking out throwback jerseys for this game, baby. It's circa 1993. Like, like in these jerseys, like, I, 
I'm not gonna lie. You know, seeing them the first time in person, it it it, it gave me a little chub. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> and like these, I mean, if you've seen the pictures from like that season, because they adjusted them over time, but the initial Glory Days throwback jerseys, mm, thing of beauty. I mean, you have the script logo, you know, like the, the script lettering and the old pirate head logo on the shorts. Oh my god, it was great. I mean, I, I can't overstate it. Even I wasn't even alive when they had these jerseys. But just seeing those, I'm like, because I know how much it meant to the older fan base. It was just so cool. And like, this is the perfect time. This is the big game. This is the time to do it. And well, to Wichita State's credit, because you know, they had Fred Van Vliet and Rod Baker, you know, they were getting on us early, and I think they were off double digits in the second half. And then little by little you start chipping away. And the one guy who shockingly came up with some big plays was my sweet mate, Veer Singh, who um, a couple of guys that I know and, you know, like I came to know them because they were passionate fans like I were, created this group called the Veer Singh Fan Club. And it was it was funny as hell. Like they would have signs like, you know, Star Wars, the Veer Awakens, um, <laughs> Veer the Veer, like I think I made a sign that said we want like we want beer, but I crossed out beer and wrote beer instead. <laughs> um, it's just stupid stuff like that. It was it was just, and he made I think he got a big and one, and then while they're making this run, he also hits this quarter three to get it down to one, and like the crowd went absolutely ballistic when he hit that three because this ain't the guy that you're expecting to hit a big shot like that in that setting on national TV. And for me, I was going to be like, that's my sweet thing. Let's go. <laughs> and, and, and not so much for the Beersing fan club guys. Like now they have something big to cheer about. Cause he's showing up in a big way in this game. And I remember um, Tim Brando on the call after, I think he said like, sing a song, baby, like earth, wind and fire. And you know, he had a lot of good sayings, but the best one from that game, Desi Rodriguez baptized uh, Marcus McDuffie who is making a homecoming because he's from Jersey. And he baptized him and dumped on him. And I, I, I don't know if he got messed up on his wording, but Brando said Desi goes Babaloo. <laughs> I'm not really sure where he got it from, but I don't know. Something about that call is just magical watching it back after the fact. <laughs> so I don't know. It just added to the mystique of the whole game. And I remember actually it was, I think Derek Gordon drew a charge on the other end on Dan Bleak. And you know, I mean, there was just so much drama. I mean, Isaiah made a big step back three to keep within, within you know, you know, clo closely within a close game where it's not like, all right, Wichita State's going to run away with this because, you know, they struggled early on, but now they're getting hot again because everybody's healthy. And it looked like that's how it was going to go. And I remember Wichita State, they got about up to like seven or eight. And Willard called timeout. And I learned about it after the fact. So the first time that year, there were these guys from this fraternity, Zeta Psi. Guys come to this game dressed in laughter costumes. And rightfully so. They stand out. And Kadeen Carrington notices them apparently on the bench. He's like, yo, we got to win for the lobsters, man. But, I mean, <laughs> I had some beef with them because of just how they conducted themselves. I'll touch on that later. But, uh, but to this, it was really funny because, you know, like, let's win for the lobsters. I mean, who, who would have thought in a game like this? Yeah, let's rally for a bunch of guys dressed like crustaceans. It's like the Amanda show, like bring in the dancing lobsters. And like, that's kind of what they were. Yeah, that's right. And so they rally, they force OT and thankfully they win in overtime. And, you know, that was a big deal. Like, you're like, yo, we're here. Like, it's kind of like, um, like, I think like Julius Randall, I think, or somebody else said on the next, like, like we here, like, like we were here. 
we had a long way to go, but we, we were still here and we got this big win and, you know, okay, like we're nine and two and we just beat Wichita State. Like, I mean, we're legit, but again, going into conference play, we got a long way to go. And, we, and as you guys know, the Big East, even in this, you know, watered, not really watered down, but in this smaller version, it's still a gauntlet no matter what. And the funny thing is about, you know, even with this new Big East, you don't have a lot of guys who dip early. Uh, one of the guys who did because he was a McDonald's All-American and was pretty damn good as a freshman, made an All-Big East team, was this guy named Henry Ellenson from Marquette. And the calling card for Ishmael Sonogo that year was being a stretch four who locked down the other stretch fours of the league. And the first guy to be put in, you know, in the Ish jail cell was Henry Allenson. And Ish locked him down. I think it was like three for 14 or something like that. And, you know, like it was a one-point game. Marquette was up at the half. But Seton Hall, like, smoked him by like 20 in Milwaukee. I, I, I guarantee you a lot of that was probably fueled by that biggest tournament loss. But for Ish to make that kind of statement, a guy who probably played like not even five minutes a game um, during his freshman year to come in and lock down a high school All-American and a guy who's going to get drafted first round, I think, in the NBA draft that year. Like, again, Ish, toughest guy I've ever seen in terms of just the grit and the determination in terms of taking on an assignment. Like, taking on a guy who's three inches taller and has that versatility of shooting as well. And he locked he locked him down. He put him in, he put him in the jail cell and did not let him out. And, again, good way to start conference play. However, they almost lost to DePaul, like, I think it was the day after New Year's. They played at 11 a.m. against this DePaul team. DePaul sucked that year. Let's be honest. They sucked. And Seton Hall's up three in the final seconds. And with, like, one second to go, Derek Gordon inexplicably follows Billy Garrett Jr. He's one of those guys that you think, like, he's still there? Like, it felt, by his senior year, that's what it felt like. And Billy Garrett Jr. gets fouled on a three. And Billy Garrett Jr. is a pretty good free throw shooter. I remember watching from Disney World, I think. And I'm thinking, oh, shit. He's going to tie this game, isn't he? He clanked the first. So he clanks the first. He makes the second. He tries to intentionally miss on the third. And he misses it, gets the rim, but obviously doesn't do it well enough to get an offensive rebound. Whitehead gets the rebound, makes the free throw. Boom, done. All right, we barely get by DePaul. Great. So now we go to Villanova at the Pavilion again. And the first two years of the new Big East, Villanova straight up murdered teams at the Pavilion. Wells Fargo teams stood a chance. At the Pavilion, uh-uh. You ain't winning and you're not even coming close. <clears throat> Seton Hall lost, but they lost by nine. Like, I was thinking, I'm like, we only lost by nine to these guys <laughs> in that building? Wow. We might be really good. Even though I even lost, I was saying, like, that's pretty good. I like that. But, man, we, did we come crashing down to earth three days later in Newark? So we played Creighton at home, and Creighton was no slouch that year. I mean, they were a year away from being, like, really, really good because Justin Patton, who was a first-round pick, redshirted that year. Um, Marcus Foster, two-time All-Big East first-teamer, was also redshirting that year. But they still had Mo Watson at point guard. 5'10", dude, who just got around the court and just carved teams up like a Thanksgiving turkey. He was <laughs> so underrated. People don't talk about how good that guy was. Mo Watson was the real deal, and Philly tough kid. And so him and the Blue Jays come into Newark, and they crush Seton Hall. 
And it's at one point, like, the fans are booing Seton Hall because they were just not giving any effort, at least if we wanted to see him. And after the fact, we kind of find out, like, you know, some of the guys were sick with the flu. Um, I don't think it's really a, like, I'm not saying it's a, you know, the excuse to make, and I'm not saying, like, you know, it's it can't really excuse the poor play, but, like, yeah, so, um, yeah, so they, you know, a few guys had the flu, including Angel Delgado, and, you know, Willard, you know, wasn't happy about it at all, so, like, he took starters out one by one, and, you know, he sent the second unit out there for, like, the last eight, like, six, seven minutes of the game, I think, and, again, fans weren't happy, they lose by 15, and um, the next day, uh, Derek Gordon, being the lone senior, calls a players-only meeting, and it happens in one of the lounges on the second floor of Xavier Hall. Me, being the klutz and dumbass that I am sometimes, I accidentally walk in on the meeting. So I hear them, you know, like, I, there's not a lot of shouting going on, but, like, Derek's making it very clear, like, you know, like, hey, this is my senior year. We're also just, we're too good to not make the NCAA tournament. And he was very right on that end because, I mean, the talent was definitely there. It's just, you know, and not to mention he knew about what had happened the year before with the collapse. He didn't want to repeat of that. And as the lone senior, he said, again, I'm the lone senior. I don't want to miss the tournament in my senior year. I can't go out that way. And I'm sure you guys don't want to go out that way, too. And I overheard a lot of that because I accidentally walked in. Obviously, I kept it to myself out of respect for the agreement I made with Ryan Whalen and, you know, being a part of the team. And, again, whatever's off the record stays off the record. It stayed off the record. And so I that was my – Clutzy, you know, clumsy moment where I walked in on that on accident, and um, I had to keep something to myself, which is really hard because I have a big mouth that I kind of let, you know, I kind of let secrets out, kind of like almost, almost like I don't want to say like Tourette's, but like you get the idea because <laughs> it's kind of a, I'm kind of a jerk of it. It's not like because I can't equate it, but like I, it, it, I definitely have a tendency to not hold secrets in very well and i'm shocked i kept it in as long as i did and hell i think it might be the first time i even said this because the meeting that anniversary was probably three days ago and five six years now which for me that's probably the longest i've ever held on to the secret (laughs) we 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 appreciate the breaking news yes (laughs) yeah i'm internet explorer today (laughs) (laughs) yeah so now, now they got a week off, and they got a gauntlet coming up. They got to play at number twelve Providence. They get a rematch with Villanova, who's going to be number four by the time they play them at home. And then they go to Xavier, who's at this point number five in the country. And I'm thinking at Providence, you got Chris Dunn, best player in the conference. Ben Butzel, shocking, leading the conference in scoring, not done. And I'm thinking, oh god, this isn't this isn't looking good, but. I guess my lack of faith proved to be a good sign, I guess. So what happened is, you know, Kevin Willard makes the move to start Derek Gordon, being the good defensive guard that he is, to try to lock up Chris Dunn. And it worked. Like, Dunn had a decent game, but not the kind of game they they were expecting him to have. And Dino came off the bench and scored a lot. Isaiah shined and did very well. And, you know, they go on the road and, beat Providence, which was a big deal. And we're like, okay, we beat Wichita State. That's one thing. But we just beat a ranked team on the road. Okay, now we're now we're a little more serious. Okay, it's early, but we, we made a statement that's a little louder and one that's actually viable at this point in the season. Villanova at home. That was a game we should have won. 
because Seton Hall was up two, one or two points after Isaiah made a three. And I think the game might have been tied at like, might have been 69 all, which nice. Um, nice. <laughs> so Ryan Archidiakono being the savvy senior that he is, um, he's trying to set up an offense and he fakes a dribble handoff and gets a wide open lane to the basket to give them the lead. And they hold on to the lead because missed free throws and they missed free throws of their own too. And it was just, I mean, the end of the game was pretty ugly because Daniel Ochepa was at the line and like someone threw something at him. I, I, I thought it was a lobster. Maybe it was somebody else, but <laughs> like a, a person dressed as a lobster, not an actual lobster. Just making well, that clear. Well, well, we don't know for sure though, right? We, we never I mean, saw the thrower. I mean, I wish I, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure security cameras got to have that footage six years later. <laughs> I'd be shocked if they didn't, but well, I mean, the truth will come out eventually, I think. Um, but yeah, so someone threw, it was either an ice cube or a coin at Ochefu and he, he was pissed about it. Like Villanova wins the game by one. And I remember like there was a post, like someone saw Ochefu's snap story and it said like, yo, those lobsters were fucking annoying as hell, man. Fuck them. And, like, apparently they were saying some nasty shit about his family. So that's where I kind of drew the line. I'm like, okay, all right, these guys are just, you know. Again, I have nothing wrong with people drinking alcohol. But the second, you know, you're drinking and you also just, you know, say stuff like that where you're crossing the line mentioning someone's family. I'm like, I'm like no, 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 stop that shit right now. Like, th that's when you cross the line. That's what's not okay with me. And it shouldn't be okay with anybody, really. But, you know, they still did what they did. But at the end of the story, he said, uh, shout out to the dude in the chef's outfit. Uh, that was funny as hell because his nickname, I didn't know, was Chef. Um, so I, I, I got I get that message back. It's like, yo, Chef, would you shout out on Snapchat? I'm like, yeah, let's go. Like, you know, I was happy because I'm like, yeah, I'm getting recognition from the other team now. I like it. Like, yeah. like public recognition. Because, I, you know, like I got some laughs for signs that I made about other guys in the past. But that was the first time someone like publicly acknowledged, like, yo, the, the chef's guy, the guy in the chef's outfit with the signs, you're funny as hell. You know, keep doing you. I liked you. Like, all right. So I'm the one guy in the entire student section that you like. I'll take that's a W for me. I'll take it. Absolutely. That's awesome. So I messaged him after the game. I'm like, yo, um, hey, thanks for the shout out. Y'all, y'all played a good game. I'm just gonna apologize for whatever asshole threw that thing at you. I don't know what it was, but it wasn't cool. Um, just know that me and the rest of the student section doesn't really hold the same values. So again, I apologize and, you know, good win for you guys tonight. You guys earned it, you know, cause we knew we were a good team too. And I'm sure they did. And they found that out later on, but you know, I was like, Hey, you know, good game. And, you know, maybe we'll see each other down the line in the garden in, in about a couple months. And, you know, he was cool about it. He's like, Hey man, you know, it's all in good fun. I mean, I wasn't happy about it, but I get it. It's all for the fun of the game. Uh, thanks. Thanks. And, you know, like, you know, maybe I'll see you too. So yeah. So and the funny thing is, me and Chef, you know, we had a, you know, we've I've had him on the on the Yegloo twice now, and he's funny thing is, you know, years later, I think he tweeted in twenty eighteen, he's like, those goddamn lobsters are still there. <laughs> oh, are they? Well, they were like for like I think. Two oh, twenty eighteen, you said. Yeah, 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 two yeah two games my senior year they came back, and in twenty seventeen they tried to do the same thing, which was a very unfortunate, very fortunate for me at least but a failed comeback attempt in it. It wasn't pretty because, you know, you had lobsters getting thrown out and saying some really vulgar shit, not to mention they came back for a game against Columbia only because 
um, a beat writer for Seton Hall wrote an article about me and the mafia, the sign mafia. And, you know, the next game is against Columbia and they had shown up for FDU in central Connecticut and they show up for Columbia. I'm like, really? Like, we all know why you're here. Like you're trying to, you're trying to get your thunder back. Like, but again, that's a complete, that, that's a side story. And again, I don't want to like, you know, yeah. you know, I don't want to like turn this into secret base beef history here, but, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of just what happened, but, um, but chef, you know, years later, he's still, he's, I don't say he hates them. He definitely resents them and doesn't like them for sure, strongly. But it, it's crazy. I mean, six years later, he still doesn't like those guys as strongly as he does and has that level of disdain. It, it's, fun, it's funny how that works out. But so we lose that game, and then we lose that Xavier. I mean, who's winning in the Centos Center against a team that good? Centos is one of the toughest places to play. Yeah, yeah. So Centos was a tough, a tough place to navigate, but we only lost by eight. So I'm like, you know what? Other than the Creighton game, we have yet to get killed in a game. Like, because we were in it for the most part against Xavier. So we play St. John's at home. We whack them. No surprise. That St. John's team is fucking terrible. I mean, they somehow beat Syracuse in the Garden, but they lost to, like, let's see. They lost to Incarnate Word, NJIT. I mean, it's a laundry list of really bad teams that they lost to that year. But yet they beat Syracuse. Like, make that make sense. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, and then they finish the first half, they go into Omaha and they beat Creighton in a revenge game. And, you know, like usually, you know, I, I, the part of me felt like a jerk for them going into Omaha and winning on, you know, Creighton versus cancer night, which is one of the most underrated traditions in college basketball. I must say when they do the pink out in Omaha, it's, I I think it's fantastic. It's, It's a great tradition that they have. And I mean, spoiling the fun, I mean, for the winning part was good, but spoiling the festivities, I'm like, uh, I kind of feel bad because my my aunt unfortunately passed away from breast cancer. So um so the I was happy about the win, but not the fact that we crashed those festivities in the way that we did. Cause I mean we whacked them for the for the most part. I think we won by like ten, but really took it to them and took out all that anger and frustration from the from the game three or three weeks prior out on them. And obviously hey, it worked out. So the second half so yeah, let's get into the second half because this is the part a lot of fans were thinking Oh, God, we're going to choke in the second half again, aren't we? Because I guess Seton Hall fans have just grown so accustomed to a second-half collapse in the years without that NCAA tournament event that they were just expecting it at this point. But the first game we play against Henry Ellenson and Marquette again, Ish locks him down. And I remember, you know, I had a sign that read, it was a picture of Henry Ellenson, and it said, property of Ishmael Sonogo. <laughs> um, and then I, I also made one, you know, like, cause I, I was, I think it said like, you can't spell Ellenson without back-to-back L's and <laughs> he's, he's up. I mean, Ish locked him down, but again, Isaiah was great. Angel was great. And we win that game. So like, all right, we're already off to a better start than we were in the second half of last year. Good. So now we've Saturday night game against Georgetown. We break out the throwbacks. We broke them out against St. John's the week before. I don't know why. I guess for confidence boost, but we break them out against Georgetown for, but like for legit, it's 80s night. Like, okay, cool. Let, let's do this thing. And so this game meant a lot because at the time, because of other games that happened earlier in the day, this game is for sole possession of third place in the standings behind Nova and Xavier. We win this game, we get third place. Well, that's what happened. We beat Georgetown, grinded out Biggie's game. I think it was like 69 61, low scoring game. 
and we win it. And I remember leaving the leaving Prudential thinking, yo, like we've already won two games in the second half. We won one last year. Like, is this it? Is this our time? Like, are we finally going to go to the tournament this year? And like, that was the whole discussion of the bus ride back. And the the funny thing is, so obviously during this time, there was a lot of lobster talk still going on because they had become a story of their own. Because obviously when you wear costumes like that, you stand out. I don't blame them. So what happened was like a day or two before the game against Georgetown. So my birthday was the day before. And I remember I went out to dinner and, you know, like, we, you know, like I did some birthday stuff, you know, with like, you know, Kadeen and Isaiah and a bunch of the other guys on the team. And Ish promised to me, you know, hey, you know, I know there are they're talking about the lobsters, but, you know, next game, if I get a chance to be interviewed, I'm going to shout you out. All right. Because you've been there every step of the way. I got you. I got you, Ice. I'm like, all right. All right, this is all I'm like, I hope he's got me. But then I, you know, see on Twitter, you know, like I just want to give a quick shout out to Timmy Eyes. You know, he's been there from day one. He was he was there when we went through, when we went through that losing the big losing streak last year. So I gotta give him a shout out because he doesn't he he doesn't get enough credit. So I was like, all right, Ish. Like that's when I knew Ish was a real one. Like like that's awesome. like like it's not like it's not just like I'm just fangirling over these guys. Like these guys know that. I have their backs and in return, like, because they see their lawyers, like, they got mine. I'm like, and, and that's the whole like yin and yang thing. Cause the, the one thing that set me apart from those frat guys were I saw them as people. Cause I lived with one of them and I got to know some of these guys. Like I remember, you know, a couple weeks before that I was in Angel Delgado's room with Nick, um, Angel's girlfriend at the time and somebody else. We watched the Royal Rumble together that night, <laughs> that year. And I made this pick. I'm like, yo, AJ Styles is going to win the Rumble. He's not even under contract yet officially. And I I called it. And he's like, how do you know this Ice-T? He's the only plan- person on this planet who calls me Ice-T. And he says in the stick to me, he's like, yo, Ice-T, how did you know that? <laughs> like, he, like, Angel's just a, he was just a big fuzzy teddy bear, man. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, you hear about John Thompson, but like you see Thompson can look cold at times. But Angel, I mean, he, he doesn't really give off that vibe. But, like, again, just when you get to know him, like, again, just a big fuzzy teddy bear. And just, you know, he's definitely not the same guy that's jostling you for rebounds, you know, you know, when when he's got a jersey on, when you get to know him outside. Like, soft, soft as hell. And, you know, again, you know, like like a big old teddy bear. And, you know, again, I was, I'm pretty grateful that I got to live next to him for it. Even if it was for just a year, it was a fun experience. But – so the best story I have to have from that regular season has to come from the Butler home game. And so that was the last game of a three-game homestand. We'd already won the first two legs. And Butler was – they got off to a slow start. They were like a top 25 team in the country. They still had two guys that get fitting that, like, how are they still in school mentality. Roosevelt Jones and Kellen Dunham. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, how are they still in school? And especially Roosevelt Jones, because like three years before, that's when he hit that buzzer beater against Gonzaga on ESPN. And, you know, Butler had our number other than that Big East tournament two years before that. Like, they owned us. I think they won four in a row in the regular season. And it it looked like, if it wasn't for Isaiah Whitehead, it looked like it was going to be all Butler. But Whitehead starts seven for seven from three in the first half. Seven for seven. I mean, how often do you see that? Um, so what happened, um, so it was tied at 38 at the break, and 
at halftime, you know, things are, you know, intense. You know, like I'm already going nuts because Whitehead's on fire. So the teams come out for the second half and, you know, like we're showcasing our sides because the visitors warm up on the side of the student section for the second half. And Tyler Lewis sees the side that we made about him. And it says Tyler Lewis still orders up the kids menu playing off his childlike appearance. <laughs> he, he comes up to us like, yo, that's really funny. Can I have it? I'm like, wait, 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 what? He's like, yeah, can I have that time? I'm like, um, well, this is, this is the first time this has happened. But since you asked so nicely, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> um, so we end up losing the game. I'm like, you know what? Um, like, that's one thing. And not to mention, uh, that's when, like, the lo- you know, lobsters had their first hiccup where, you know, they had a few guys get thrown out for just being, I won't say barbaric, but just not being incoherent guests of the Prudential Center. So, um, so we lose the game and I find this guy I know who like is like an intern for athletics and I'm like, yo, Bernie, um, Michael Burns is really, so like, yo, Bernie, um, can you run the sign to the Butler locker room for me? Um, the player who, whose name's on it, he asked for it to take back with him. So he's like, yeah, I'll try. And so, you know, I, I make my way without the sign. Okay. Like, uh, and then I go back to my dorm room. It's like almost nine o'clock at this point. And I see this tweet from the SID from Butler with the caption, who doesn't like mac and cheese? And it's a picture of Tyler Lewis holding my sign on the plane. I'm like, oh, my God, he got it. (laughs) It happened. Yes. (laughs) Like, there's a first for everything. But it's like you always remember your first time because other players getting signs about them. It happened later on, like once or twice. But the first one was magical because it got picked up by an SI website. And I was like, yo, like, this is my first taste of virality. I love it. Like, I want this taste forever. It tastes pretty damn sweet. That's awesome. That's so cool. <laughs> and the funny thing is, you know, like, I, when I interviewed Tyler, like, a few years ago for my podcast, um, I asked Tyler straight up, like, yo, do you still have the signs? Like, yeah, it's at my parents' home in North Carolina. <laughs> like it, it's like nuts like it's just this little stupid thing and his family still has it and it was something like yeah yeah like we're, we're lifelong friends because i made fun of you <laughs> like how sports what's there not to like about it stuff like that that's why that's really awesome yeah so uh, we get a bye week after that. We beat Georgetown on the road. Okay, like, just stop, you know, no, no bad losses. But the worst loss opportunity that could come up is coming up at St. John's in the Garden. And it looks like Seton Hall is going to kick their ass. They're up, like, I think they were, I think they almost had, like, a 20-point lead in the first half. They could go up 14 at the break. And then foul trouble happens. Like, and St. John's chips away, and they come back. Like, Felix Balamu just baptized Rashid Anthony, who – Rashid Anthony was a guy who just fouled out within like five minutes, it seemed like. And he was one of three big guys to foul out because Anthony fouled out, Angel fouled out, and Ish fouled out of that game. And I think Ish fouled out, or it was either Ish or Angel that fouled out. Kasum Yakwe got an and one to make it, I think it was a three-point game with a minute to go. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, we're going to lose to St. John's and our tournament hopes are done if we lose this game but we just do these little things you know we we 
I mean, we committed some stupid fouls, but Dino made a big shot to put us up one. No, put it down one, I should say. And, you know, thank God we got some missed free throws from St. John's. And Isaiah, who shot terribly that game. Desi was the big star of that game because he was making three after three in the first half. Isaiah was, like, non-existent. He made some, made some free throws, but, like, again, way towards the end. So he gets two free throws down one with a handful of seconds to go. And I'm thinking to myself, mate, Zeke, you know, this is, if there's any time to, you know, make these shots count and, you know, go two for two instead of, you know, struggling like you had all day, this is the time to do it. Thankfully, he sank both. And then St. John's, I only think they got a shot off and we barely leave the garden with a win. I was celebrating with one of my best friends, like, like, oh, like we won the whole thing. Like, oh my God, we, like, we just avoided a, uh, a tournament hope crushing loss to St. John's, the worst team, in the, who, by the way, they won their first conference game the game before that. So we were facing a St. John's team that had hope and confidence, and we almost blew it. And the really funny thing is we're watching the handshake line, and a fight almost breaks out. And I watched the clips afterward. How did it start? The, the reports were that it was something about, like, some one of the St. John's players saying something, you know, homophobic to Derek Gordon. That wasn't the case. And Derek debunked that. And I've also had a St. John's walk-on clarify exactly what started it. And, you know, they were drawing any, the teams were drawing at each other for a lot of the game. But in the handshake line, Deron Johnson, who's the pit transfer, uh, says to Isaiah in the line, and I I got the clarification that it was in this thick Baltimore accent also. He said to Whitehead, quote, use a bitch. Which, okay, I understand why you get pissed off about that. I mean, he just called you a bitch. Not to say you're a bitch, use a bitch. And, you know, Isaiah was like, whoa, 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 what'd you say to me? So, and then, of course, there's some pushing and shoving going on. And, you know, the, the referees, thankfully, hadn't left the floor yet. So they can at least try to get some decorum. And the, the scene I remember was seeing... Uh, my guy, B-Rob, Brian Robbins, who's a manager on the team and um, was in my orientation group uh, my freshman year of college. Who, and and Deer, my sweet mate, just waving everyone, like, get out of here, get out of here, get out of here. Like, they were frantically waving them off, like, like we don't want to fight. We don't want any trouble because we mm. have a big stretch to end the season coming up. We don't want anybody getting suspended. So we got a season still to play for. <laughs> let, let us go. Yeah, but, like, there were – frantically, like, almost like, you know, like a third base coach waving home a player, you know, rounding the base. Like, that's what it felt like, and at least that's what I saw, you know, envisioning them. So, yeah, so that was the story of how Seton Hall narrowly avoided, um, you know, at least that loss that probably would have ended their tournament hopes right then and there. But, you know, thankfully, hey, like, we still got four games to go, including the next two at home, last two home games of the year, Providence and Xavier. Providence at this point, has fallen off a cliff. Like, they lost at DePaul, uh, which really started the ripple effect of their collapse. And that game, apparently Chris Dunn's sick, but again, you know, kind of like I'm not making excuses for Seton Hall being sick against Green. I'm not making excuses for Chris Dunn being sick. Isaiah outclassed in that game. And there were NBA scouts who were there to see Chris Dunn. Instead, they got the Isaiah Whitehead show. And, like, that's how Isaiah Whitehead, you know, like, I mean, we'll come to find out, you know, that's why he ended up getting drafted because he had big showings like that. But in this game, Ben Bentle almost bails out Providence. And the really – so at halftime, Seattle's up by seven, Providence warming up on our end. We have a sign that says Ben Bentle takes bubble baths to go off the alliteration. 
And Ben Bentel's like stretching and he's like, yeah, I take bubble baths. He's like, and we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I take them all the time. They're a lot, they're really stretch. They're like, they're really relaxing. It's like, oh, really? That's cool. It's like, yeah, go fuck yourself. I'm like, <laughs> where did that come from? Like, what did we do to you? And I'm like, you know what? I hope you get thrown out of this game. Three and a half minutes to go. Lake Red 2. Gone. <laughs> like, I I wish I was... I could, Some of it may be ex- exaggerated to an extent, but Ben Bentel telling me to go fuck myself, or telling us, me and my friends, to go fuck ourselves, that much is true. That is 100% accurate. We have witnesses... Uh, to back that story up, but yeah, so Bento, I think he scored like 20, at least half their points. They only scored 52 the entire game. He scored half of them, and he gets thrown out for a flagrant two, a really hard foul on Desi, and from there, Seton Hall, what do they do? 10-0 run to win the game by 18, mind you, and the highlight of that, Isaiah made this nasty, no-look, over-the-shoulder type pass, and like, we talk about like Magic Johnson, the Lakers, Celtics, 30 for theirs, like, the like that was it <laughs> like it was really like that and he just like found desi like no other guard in the league would have saw him except isaiah white and he just made this scintillating pass it was just perfect it was like the perfect exclamation point and that for us that was big because that was win number 20 and usually 20 is the magic number for wins to get into the ncaa tournament like we're like okay like like we're we're in uh, the only thing that soured me a little bit was like it was a lobster themed night because like they called it deep blue sea night, which I thought was you know like stop like stop like stop patronizing them like they're not the only people in the student section like come on like we can't like it's all of us we can't just accommodate them but I mean it worked I mean they were they were a big part of the success I'm not going to deny it so I mean we win the game and now we got senior day against Xavier who's number five in the country again. And they just beat Villanova, who's number one at home a few days prior. So we're thinking to ourselves, okay, this is senior day. We haven't gotten that prop. The Providence win is no longer a signature win anymore because of how they've fallen off a cliff. The signature win chance is now against a Xavier team that we know is legitimately a contender for a one seed, if not a two seed at worst. And that game, breaking up the Glory Days uniforms again and having. Derek Gordon being the lone senior, like, went for Derek, went for Flash. And that's exactly what they did. And for the most part, you know, Desi was dunking on people. I mean, they were killing Z- They were up 19 at the half. It was 45-26. And Xavier, they kind of, you know, hung around. But he was around, like, eight minutes or so to go. I can't remember. But it was 66-51. That much I remember. Shot clock's winding down. And Isaiah pulls up for like 35 feet out. Think for the Prudential Center logo. And just swishes that thing. And <laughs> Kutcher, the Wizards play-by-play guy, currently the Wizards play-by-play guy, said, you know, Whitehead from Curry range. Got it. And the really funny thing is, Whitehead was at Curry's camp during the summer because um, he was an Under Armour guy. And Curry, obviously being a UA guy, he wanted to get the best Under Armour guys from Under Armour schools. Whitehead was one of them. He's impressed so for Kutcher to say for Curry range you know that's pretty pretty fitting so we win the game now we got a signature win that was our first top five win since I believe 2004 which was also the last time seen all even won a tournament game so 
that was a big deal. But the regular season ends, you know, uh, to wrap this up before the big, big part, which is Madison Square Garden in March in the Big East Tournament. Lose to Butler because Butler's quick tonight. And for some reason, they just couldn't get by him. And then they finished with a win at DePaul. I think Isaiah had like 30-plus that game. And that should have cemented him as Big East Player of the Year. But Chris Dunn got it instead. And I guarantee you, that must have been sitting with Isaiah for almost a week by the time he got to the Garden, especially being a Brooklyn kid. You know, he had he. I knew he was destined to put on a performance for the ages over those three days in New York. And, whoo! All right. So, with the student section tickets at, Seat, um, at Seton Hall and with a good amount of student sections across the Big East, I don't know about the ones that are, like, super far, but at least for Seton Hall, there's a lottery. And, you know, depending on, you know, your, you know, season ticket attendance and, you know, like, how often you got your ticket scanned and actually attended the games and all that, that got taken into consideration. I got the lottery last year, and I get it again this year. And it also helps I have two of my friends um, who are part of the Sign Mafia that are going to be joining me now rather than me just going solo. So, I'm like, yes, finally, I get to go with some buddies. Yeah, all right. And we get Creighton in the quarterfinal. And we knew what had happened against Creighton earlier in the year. And essentially that Creighton home game where we lost was the wake-up call. So it's kind of like going full circle in this. And we – so the funny thing is our pregame meal that night was Hooters across the street. Great place. But the only thing is we had a waitress that didn't know how to do separate checks. (laughs) <laughs> and, um, I don't want to say it fit the job description accurately, but like, I mean, for a bunch of college kids to have to all pay on one check, yeah, no, that's that's not gonna fly at all <laughs> because we're all broke at this point, especially because we're in New York. Like, we're trying, like, we're trying to have some fun here, like, and we can't do it like all throwing in money on one check now. Come on, um, so we do that. Now we go to the garden. We watch Xavier pummel Marquette. Like, okay, this is only appropriate. Like, we want another shot at Xavier, like, because the better win is getting a top five Xavier team again and beating them again. But first, we got to get by Creighton. And for some reason, Cole Huff, who I think averaged like eight or nine points a game, goes off for like 38 or something like that. <laughs> and, yeah, Ish didn't lock him down then. But, honestly, there was nothing you could do because Cole, the, some of the shots he was making, just unreal. And the really funny thing is, you know, if it wasn't, I mean, that would have been the story of the game, Cole Huff going off for 38. But it wasn't because Isaiah made some unbelievable individual plays. I mean, I've never seen a guy, and Bill Rocker said on the broadcast, a guy who could stop and pop on a dime like that. I mean, Isaiah was a gamer, and he proved why he was a McDonald's All-American. Probably should have been biggest player of the year. Obviously, Chris Dunn won it over him. But, again, Isaiah was meant to show out on a stage like Madison Square Garden, especially being from Brooklyn and Coney Island. And the other the other New York City guys thought the same way. Dino was great. Desi was great. Angel, even though he wasn't from there, you know, being, you know, going to high school in Jersey, still showed out. Derek Gordon had a big game being a New Jersey guy. Same with issues from Newark. And, you know, they made enough plays uh, to win that game. And, you know, shocking, the, the biggest contribution, you could argue, I mean, it came unexpected because Miles Carter in the first half, a guy who ended up getting dismissed from the program because, you know, he just couldn't get his act together academically. He got dismissed and, you know, ended up ha- you know finishing with a decent enough career at Seattle um, where, you know, he turned into a guy who was all conference almost. Uh, but 
little used freshman by that time, and he makes this big block on a drive by Watson that sets up a fast break and causes a timeout for Creighton. That's part of this big run. And man, like to get a big block like that from a guy that barely played, like, okay, I mean, things are really have to be going right for us if we're getting that from Miles Carter of all people. So we win that game. I think we scored the last eight points to win 81 73. So, okay, good. All right, like, you know, like, let's go home. Let's do this shit again tomorrow because now we got to go. Now that, it was 9.30 tip that night. It was 9 o'clock the following night. And we watched the Big East. Uh, so we get tickets to both games. So we watched the semifinals, Providence and Nova. We see Nova. We know that, you know, they're a beast and, you know, they're they're on their way to a one seed. But nothing, we can still have something to say about it down the line. But we got to take care of business. So Villanova beats Providence. Okay. All right. So now we know. Villanova's in the championship game, and now it's our time. It, we want that rematch because we came so close a couple times. Third time's got to be the charm, but we got to get by Xavier first. And Xavier gets off to a good start, but, man, some of the plays Seton Hall made in that game, I mean, defensively. I mean, Isaiah, again, he was making some plays that nobody else in the league could make, even Chris Dunn. And the way Seton Hall, again, they pummeled Xavier for most of the game. Xavier made their runs at times. But for the most part, Seton Hall just crushed them through and through. And they only win by four. And I remember the I didn't feel great about winning by four. And I'm like, you know what? At this point, I know four-point win's not great. But you know what? A win's a win. Survive in advance. We got a championship to play for tomorrow. And I remember seeing, like, Kadeen and some of the guys who were like, they got this look on their face like, you only won by four. Like, I mean. Thankfully, they realized, and like, you know what? We're in the championship game now. We did exactly what we were supposed to do, which was a huge turnaround from the year before where we got waxed by Marquette, a shitty Marquette team. And, like, now we're here in the Big East championship game tomorrow, and it's going to be on Fox. It's not like it's on FS1. It's on Fox this time. And it's in front that of the MSG. Yeah, and, and, and mind you, under the, for the first time since realignment, a sold out. Madison Square Garden with 19,812, the full capacity all the way to the top in the blue seats, every seat full. And, like, that got my juices flowing just thinking about that because you're not, you got two classic Big East teams now. Seton Hall, Villanova, you got New Jersey and Philly confiding in the Garden. But for me, after I got home from, from, uh, from the Garden, my night wasn't over, although I had to take a nap. I had a trotting shift, as they call it, at WSOU, where I had to make sure music continued to get on the air from 3 to 6 a.m. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm, I'm I'm going off this high. I'm like, you know, I'm going to try to nap, but I'm not going to sleep much. But all right, I'll, I'll do this trotting shift, you know. And, you know, I, I just queued up all the songs. And, you know, once I was done doing that, I was done by, like, you know, 4 a.m. by the time, you know, I was queuing everything up, including all the, you know, like, the underwritings, which are just the advertisements and all that, just to, uh, you know, fill it all in for those three hours. And by the time I finished that, I'm like, now it's nap time. And, you know, I, I had my alarm. I woke up at 530 in time, you know, waiting for the 6 a.m. person to come in. And, yeah, by that point, you know, like, I took a brief nap. I woke – actually, it wasn't brief. I mean, at that point, I woke up at 11. But I don't know. I just felt energized that morning. And I'm like, I kind of like did like one of those Shawn Michaels kip ups, um, you know, like how you just like you know get up off his back like that, um, <laughs> like that's how I felt the morning of the championship game. I'm like, like 
biggie championship game like let's go like i just you could just i just felt it coursing through my veins like you know like today's gonna be a good day and like we come all this way what's stopping us from losing in the biggie championship game now and considering again it took us 23 years to even get to the final which was also the last time that scene hall had won a biggie's championship so we knew how the gravity of the moment i think everybody did the players me and all the other fans and even even villanova people that we said they knew the gravity too because they were the biggest tournament champions and they had a one seat on the line for the NCAA tournament but we had something more to play for which was obviously pride and to essentially you know put an exclamation point on a just a simply remarkable turnaround really i mean if you think about it i mean especially, especially given all that bogus from the year before like to think that they could be here in that stage like, I remember getting to the garden and, you know, getting to my seat, like, yo, how, how did we get here, man? Like, you remember where we were around this time a year ago? We were leaving this place depressed because our team just got beat by Marquette and they just gave up. They stopped trying. And here they are playing for the Big East Championship. Maybe a year ahead of schedule, but here they were nonetheless in a sold-out Madison Square Garden. And it was a really shitty choice of pregame food before we got in, but me, my friend Tom, my friend Dan from the Sign Mafia, we go to Sabaro across the street, a.k.a. Michael Scott's <laughs> favorite pizza joint, yeah. New York pizza joint. And for some reason, you know, we just talked about him like, yo, this, this is destiny. Like, I, like, if I'd be lying if I told you that when I woke up that morning that I had my doubts about winning the Big East Championship. I, I did it because I, me being the insanely superstitious freak that I am, I wear the same exact outfit that I had the previous two nights. And that includes same boxers and the same <laughs> socks, which I probably sweated in a lot. And I probably breezed it before I left. But again, the same exact outfit to the T. And I'm like, you know what? This is good luck. I'm I'm not I'm not gonna change it now. Hell no. You're not you're not superstitious, you're just a little stitious. Thank you. Somebody gets it. <laughs> Somebody gets it. So we go into the garden, and you could just tell, even with an hour and a half before tip-off, there's a buzz in the building. And, like, you could feel it. And, like, this is the this is the matchup that everybody must have wanted when the bracket, you know, was revealed after the last day of the season. This, everything was going to come down to these two teams. So similar in so many ways, but different in a lot of ways. You had two Northeast teams, New Jersey and Philly, congregating in New York. I mean, what better stage could you have? I mean, it, it was poetic almost. And the way it started, it looked like seeing, I, I thought I thought it was going to be a grind, but it didn't look that way. Whitehead caught fire, and things were just going Seton Hall's way, and they were up 11 at the half. And that was the first, that was Villanova's biggest halftime deficit of the entire season. And that includes the NCAA tournament when they won the Natty. That was the biggest halftime deficit they faced all year. And that was to us in the Big East Finals. And Villanova, lo and behold, they get on their run. And, you know, they cut it down, cut it down. Whitehead, you know, keeps them at a distance, making big play after big play. But Villanova, uh, because of the heroics of one, as we come to find out later on down the line, Chris Jenkins, who – hit the shot to win the national championship, 
he just goes off and you know, like he makes a lot of shots and he hits this big three, which was a, a, there, you could make the argument. Did he push off? He might have, but the refs don't call a foul. He gets the step back. He gets the push back, push off, step back three, and Villanova goes up by three at this point. I believe it was 67-64 at that point. And I'm thinking to myself, like, this cannot be happening right now. Because, like, it, the dream that felt like during the ha- at halftime was like, like, am I dreaming? We're up 11 on Nova. It just turned into a nightmare like that. And I'm thinking to myself, man, we got a lot to do. Thankfully, like, Whitehead gets fouled. Okay. Makes the first, makes the front end of the one and one. But he misses the second and Ochepa gets the rebound and calls timeout. I'm thinking to myself, oh, shit. Because at this point, Villanova being so disciplined is going to get a chance, you know, to get fouled out of the inbounds or whatever. You know, they're probably going to go two for two, and it's going to be back to a two-possession game. And I'm like, oh, God, this is, this can't be happening. But on the inbounds, Josh Hart gets the inbound pass. And Josh Hart was a gamer, too. And – he gets the inbounds pass, and this might have been one of the only times I've ever seen this called at that level of college basketball. They trap Hart, and they get a five-second closely guarded call. <laughs> he gets the ball back, and Brian O'Connell made a great call. O'Connell is one of the good refs in this conference um, and one of the better refs in, in college basketball. I don't know why he doesn't get more opportunities to ref some of these big games in the NCAA tournament, but O'Connell's a good Good quality ref and calls it down the middle and make isn't afraid to make a call like a five second closely guarded call off the double team. So we get the ball back by the grace of God and get so so naturally guys who's the who's the ball going to go to on this possession? Isaiah Whitehead. Thank you. So on that it took us it took a while to, for Whitehead to get the ball and on that play he gets a mismatch he gets a Chefu guarding him on there. And Jim Jackson on the call with Gus Johnson immediately points out, you, you know where this is going, mismatch. And right as he says it, Whitehead darts to the basket. And he goes up <laughs> for the shot, and Chris Jenkins tries to take a charge. He's obviously late getting there. And when that shot goes up, it hits the backboard, and like it felt like it rattled around. It felt like it like bounced on the back of the rim for what felt like an eternity. The whistle blew. I didn't even look. I kind of looked at the ball, but I was more looking at what Brian O'Connell called, which was a block. Okay. If, if it doesn't go in, he still got two shots to tie, try, try to tie the game. But bump, bump, bump. Drops. And one. I remember, like, I'm like, holy sh- Oh, my God. Like, we just had the game. Like, like that's. And to think we we were dead probably five minutes ago when they when they when there was a timeout call, like no shot. And here we are, so close to winning the big, well, at least taking the lead in this in this game on a free throw. And by the way, that's the right call. Jenkins was late. Let's let's be real. I mean, if Jenkins got away with the push off, he gets the block call there. I, I I think that's a fair trade. At least I think so. So Whitehead makes the free throw. And again. The, really, the identity of that team, more than anything, was grit and defense. I mean, this was a team that held Villanova to 67 in this game. I mean, there were not a lot of teams that were able to hold Villanova that low. 
and yet here they were, and they make this big defensive stand to, I think they had like two or three chances Villanova had. And it was like, I held my breath through that entire possession. And not to mention, I think earlier in that final minute, Seton Hall actually put a stop because Villanova had this play coming out of the opposite end inbound where, you know, they would try to get Archie Diakono to run off the floor and try to get a trailer. I think we all know what happened in the national championship game with that. Seton Hall sniffed it out and didn't let Jenkins get a sniff of the ball. So Seton Hall did what North Carolina couldn't. They just wanted to point that out. <laughs> and, like, there's film on it that shows that they did exactly that and they guarded Jenkins so they wouldn't let him let the ball get to the trailer. And and you can even see the play because Ochefu set a screen, which is exactly what happened in the national championship game, and they left the trailer wide open. Jenkins hits the shot. That didn't happen against Seton Hall because they had seen him twice and they knew exactly that whole damn play. <laughs> That's incredible. Like, it's just little details like that. It just sticks out to me. I feel like Rain Man, like, really. <laughs> so, thankfully, two or three chances, none of them go in. And guess who gets the rebound? Angel Logano. And he gets fouled. And this is a guy who's shooting, like, 54% from the free throw line going into this. And... Nice. I'm I'm like, oh my God, like this is not who we want. No. And but me and my friends had this routine every time Angel Degato shot free throws. And we took this from an episode of Drake and Josh. And I think it was the last season of Drake and Josh. Do you remember where they went skydiving and the they give the instructions and the acronym SPLA SPLAT? Yes. Squat, pray, leap, ah, touchdown. Yes, 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 so, yes. So, on Angel Legato free throws. So, step one, when he receives the ball, squat. You know, like, 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 so, like, gets the ball, squat. And then while he's dribbling, pray. And then on the release, leap. And then sinks the first. And we're like, oh, my God, this routine is magical. <laughs> <laughs> it's otherworldly. Like, again. Against stupid superstitions like that. And then on the second shot, it goes in and out, which I think was for the best because we didn't want to let them, you know, try to make a full court pass. So I don't remember who got the rebound, but I just know the outlet went to Archie Diakono. And just like he had done in Newark when Seton Hall beat Nova the year before, Archie Diakono slipped on like right past half court and he stumbled to get a shot up and he. He let it go. Clearly wasn't going to go in. Buzzer sounds just complete euphoria. Like, like obviously, I knew, I, I kind of knew deep down, like, I know this is our time. We're going to win this game. But the th when it actually happened, I, I still couldn't believe it. Like, we had done something since, that, that hadn't been done since I was born. Like, I realized how special, and I, I was hugging people I didn't even know. Like, that's how, like, again, like, I guess that's just what the euphoria of sports can bring you. And and just seeing, you know, the guys hold up the, you know, hold up, you know, the Big East Championship, you know, sign and just, you know, patting it and, you know, celebrating with it and, you know, being up on the table with Commissioner Ackerman and Gus Johnson, um, Isaiah doing his interview with Molly McGrath also, and, you know, people chanting one more year. 
one more year. And like, I'm like, you know what? I actually want one more game out of it because Isaiah's done everything that you could possibly want. He's made the best shot of the modern era of Seton Hall basketball. Like, he's cemented his legacy. If he wants to go pro, so be it. I wish he would stay, but he, I feel like he's done everything you could ask out of him, really. Uh, but, and then just seeing, you know, the guys cut down the nets and, you know, chanting for them like it's, you know, bleacher creature roll call at Yankee Stadium. Um, you know, it's just little stuff like that, you know, just really stood out. And then the moment that really, it really hit me, because I was already like, you know, really happy and kind of emotional. The moment where I just broke down was seeing my roommate, Nick, uh, hugging his father, who is part of a long generation of Seton Hall season ticket holders. And seeing those two embrace, and I had gotten to know not just Nick, but his father and the rest of his family, because I'd stayed with him for a weekend during the summer because me, me and Nick as wrestling fans went to SummerSlam in Brooklyn. And I got to know the family. I'm like, you know, like I realized how deep Seton Hall basketball ran with them then. And then that just only confirmed it. seeing those two hugging, just seeing the emotion on that. Like I just started crying like a baby, man. Like it, it was, I didn't like, I, I, here I was, I hadn't even been at Seton Hall not even a year and a half. And, you know, I realized how much this meant. I felt like I was part of this more than I ever even was a part of, you know, growing up watching Syracuse win a national championship an hour for me when I was seven, you know, watching Carmelo Anthony do his thing. This was a whole nother love for me in terms of how special it was because they went from nothing to something. And, you know, the funny thing is, you know, the, they could make the argument, you know, they weren't safely in the tournament just yet. They got the automatic bid. You couldn't keep them out now. They were locked in for the first time in the tournament in 10 damn years. And that's a long time for a high major team like Seton Hall. I mean, we saw it even more like Northwestern made it for the first time ever, like the year after that. But, man, like, you could just tell there was going to be a special night because a couple things. Number one, my friend Tom carried me out of the garden on a, in a piggyback ride. Um, again, like, like I thought I probably felt like feathers to him, you know, him carrying me around. And, and then, you know, the pep band was outside and, you know, they were playing the fight song and a couple other things. And just the puddle of people that were around them. It was like, those are things that really stick out, stick out in your mind. And then also seeing, you know, the empire state building light up blue and white, like not the Navy blue, the Royal blue and white like seeing that, hall blue and white thank you that and, and and even seeing the garden lights that royal blue as well and it was it was awesome and then i knew it was going to be a good night when me and a bunch of other seen people were going back to south orange on new jersey transit i hear this chant kegs on the green kegs on the green i'm like oh shit it's gonna go down like that huh <laughs> although there were no kegs on the green I did party my ass off, and we went with basically the entire team. With the, we hit the swim house once, and then at the end, we were at the house that Fanta was living at off campus. And my God, that place was a zoo. And I remember the so that night, uh, you know, like we were turning up and all that. But the the best thing to me was me and my friends were trying to be unique, coming up with different chants. The one that we came up with for Desi was to the tune of the Two Live Crew classic, you know, hey, we want some. Mm, mm. Uh -huh. <laughs> so instead of that 
five letter P word, you know, we, hey, we want some Desi. <laughs> so, um, you know, B Rob, you know, gets it quiet in there. And, you know, like I, I do my thing. And then the entire house, you just hear, hey, we want some dead. I'm like, like, yo, this is so lit. <laughs> and the, uh, so, so I've only told people this privately also, but walking back to X from that party, I remember Angel walking back with one of the Sapphires. And obviously, you know where this is going. And I also, you also know that I also mentioned that he had a girlfriend at the time. I'm, again, they've long broken up. So I'm fine with saying this now. Because at least it's not going to destroy the relationship as it stands now. But based on my instincts and seeing how intoxicated people operate when they walk back together to a room, I think you can tell by the order of events what's going to happen after that. That's a, that's all I'm gonna say. So that that that's all that is all I'm gonna say on that. But I mean, again, was it the best night of my life? I don't know about the best, but top five at the bare minimum, top five. And then just seeing Scene Hall also just popping up on the selection Sunday, you know, just seeing you know, like like it didn't hit me until like we were in until I saw the name. Even though I actually saw it maybe like 20 minutes before, because that was the year the bracket leaked. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a shit show. And then we find that, so, oh, yeah, we're a six seed. Oh, we're going to Denver. And we're going to play Gonzaga. What the fuck? Like, this ain't a, this ain't your typical 11 seed. This is Gonzaga. And they had some they had Sabonis. They had Wilcher. They had Dranginis. They had a young Perkins. Like, they were loaded and they were a fucking 11 seed. And we got to play them in Denver? Like, <laughs> that's all I was thinking to myself. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I, I don't like, we had a chance to go to Brooklyn or Providence, but Denver? Oh, my God. Like, like and the funny thing was, Veer offered, like, yo. I can fly you out to Denver and all that, but you're gonna have to pay me back after. Like, here, you really think I'm gonna have the money after I just blew all of it in New York to pay you back? Really? <laughs> I jokingly said that. I mean, I mean, at least he recognizes. Like, ice. I understand. I understand. Just, just wanted to offer. I'm like, listen, dude. I, I'm sorry. I just couldn't pay you back. Just, just being real with you. So I had to watch it from um, one of the lounges um, in like the, like the, like the main building for like University Life and all that. And you could just tell Seton Hall was off that night. Like, the altitude got to him. Isaiah specifically got fucked up from it. He was 4 for 24 from the field. Like, I think 0 for 10 from 3. It was just, oh, my. It was was not good. It was about as ugly. And the fact, I mean, we only lost by 16. I I mean, I'll take some solace in that because, again, Gonzaga was really good. But if we got a better matchup, a better seed, and a better location, Man, Seton Hall could have gone so much further. And I really believe when I filled out my bracket, based on I thought we could get by Gonzaga because of the role we were on. I also thought they could have beaten Jakob Pertle in Utah, which would have put them in the Sweet 16 in Chicago. I really believe they were a Sweet 16 team with the way they were playing and the talent. And when it comes to March, big individual performances tend to lead the way. And Isaiah was that guy who could fill that. And unfortunately, it didn't turn out that way, which it, it sucked. Um, and 
I cried over that loss because I just, you know, I just kept thinking like, this is the best Seton Hall team of this millennium. And it got wasted because the committee wanted to, wanted to fuck us. At least, at least I thought so. And, and it hurt because I think deep down, I also knew this was as good as it could, it might've gotten for me during my last couple of years because Isaiah went pro and rightfully so. I mean, I mean, I also, was I upset with him at first? Yeah. Cause I thought he could use one more year to turn into a lottery pick, but knowing what we know now with him becoming a father, not long after I knew why he had to do it to secure the bag. And so not to secure his bag, secure the bag for his kid and his, and his, and, and the, and the mother of the child. And again, people want to talk shit about Isaiah and about, you know, dipping early, whatever, but you can't knock him for being the upstanding guy. Cause a lot of, a lot of guys in that realm would just bail and not be there for the kid, but not Isaiah Whitehead. And now he's got another kid and, you know, he, I mean, He's a tremendous dad. And the funny thing is, you know, he, I'm going to shoot Twitter like fan group chat and Isaiah's in it. And he's a fan just like all of us are. And, you know, he has really good assessments like because he watches so closely. He talks about Kadari. He called Trey Jackson becoming a breakout guy this year. I mean, the, I didn't realize until like this year how invested Isaiah still was, even though he was there for two years, not the full four. He was still so invested. And, I don't know. I just, I came to love him even more. Cause like he, he, he's one of us. Like I did, uh, you don't realize it, but like, as time goes on, you know, he was like a fan like me. Cause like he saw the same things that I was almost and differently. And I, I love his insight. Cause he sees it from a basketball perspective. That's much far, much brighter than I, but again, you know, you know, thankfully, you know, I'm, I'm happy Isaiah got to secure the bag. They play for his hometown Nets, where he started, and I think the Nets did him dirty by trading him, and he hasn't been in, been in the league since that happened. But he's balling overseas, which, you know, I'm happy for him, and I'm happy for all the guys that, you know, amounted to success afterward. Uh, but, yeah, so, I mean, obviously, do I, do I wish things could have gone differently in the NCAA tournament? Hell yeah. But, you know, don't, you know, you know, don't don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened, and that's that's how, that's how I felt. The even though it was kind of super late because we didn't tip off till almost I think eleven Eastern with games running late and whatnot. So it was like one a.m. And even though I was crying because we lost, you know, I, I thought to myself, you know what? Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened, and you know, like that's the best way I could sum up. You know, such a heartbreaking defeat and a tough way to go out. And um, you know, thinking that you know there could have been so much more to come of that team. There you have it. That is the story. And these are the college basketball stories. Is it 100% accurate? Yeah, that sounds right. Follow us on Twitter at the CBB Stories. Also, see all of our inebriated storytelling podcasts as part of the Stories Podcast Network at the Stories Pods on Twitter as our guests rewrite the past across various sports. Alcoholic drinks are consumed voluntarily by our guests at their own discretion. Please drink responsibly. I think the legacy of that group, I don't think it just died with just that team. I mean, we talk about 
the other four guys stayed through, and that includes Enzi, who, you know, did set the all-time career games record before. Miles Cal actually just recently broke it. Um, but and and Mike, you know, people forgot about him, but the dude got his MBA in five years, and now he's working on Wall Street. I mean, you can talk about where are they now? That's a pretty damn cool one. I mean, one that a lot of people, I mean, we people like me knew how smart Mike was, and I knew he was gonna get there. But for him, but for on the outside looking in, thinking, I mean, if once they see scholar athlete of the year in the Big East in 2019, okay, I can see that. But from the outside, yeah, nobody would have guessed that out of Mike Enzi. But as for the rest of that group, again, the development that came along. I mean, Kadeem kept doing his thing. He morphed him to a point guard his senior year and still was pretty good. Angel became the all-time Biggie's leading rebounder. Broke Derek Coleman's 28-year-old record. I mean, a lot of people didn't, didn't think that was going to fall, and yet Angel did it. And he also led the entire country rebounding as a junior in 2017. And not to mention, I mean, Desi developed a three-point shot, became really good at it, led the team in scoring as a senior, and Ish, by the time he was a senior, he developed a three-point shot, too, and he became really good. And obviously, the one thing that eluded them, as juniors, they got absolutely hosed. And I was there for it in Greenville in the NCAA tournament against Arkansas, where Desi committed a foul to try to stop the clock and force him to go to the foul line. And they go to the monitor. And I don't know if you guys remember this, they upgraded to a flagrant one when it was clearly a flop. And that gave Arkansas the ball back on top of the free throws. And that did Seton Hall in, and they were out in the first round. But senior year in Wichita, there's no way you can't leave without a tournament win. And thankfully they did. They went to Wichita and they beat NC State. That was the first time winning a tournament game. And the last time they did, those guys were eight years old. So to do something for the program, I know winning a tournament game, given how good they were, you want to win a lot more of those guys. But the fact that they did that, that should cement the overall legacy. A Big East championship and winning an NCAA tournament game for the first time in 14 years. like that. And then the way they went out, playing Kansas in Wichita in a road game pretty much in the NCAA tournament and only lose by four in a game where Angel Logano closes college career with a 24-point, 23-rebound masterclass against Udoka Azabuki. Brandon, he was hobbled, but still, that's against Kansas, and he did that. And, you know, Kadeem had a big night. You know, Desi and Ish, you know, they were hampered because they had suffered injuries, you know, late in the season. But for them to, you know, go out and, again, I was there for this also. But seeing those guys check out, and specifically Dino, because – him and I became so close over stupid stuff like the Han challenge, you know, where you're like, my name's Tyreek, and I'm like, huh, like that. And then also the, um, we bonded over DJ Khaled Snapchat stories where, you know, you know, like I just got mail in my bungalow, bungalow mail. We just recite those to each other all the time. So we got that bond with each other. And seeing him check out, that was the moment. Like, And I think I don't think I – Stop crying for like 20 minutes after that. Because I think it hit me because now over their college career is over, my college career was over too. And like that hit me like a ton of bricks. But, you know, um, the honestly, for being a student section president, I think the moment where I knew all of it was worth it wasn't just, you know, being in Wichita and being there for an NCAA tournament win. It was after the game with Shaheen Holloway, who – Helped lead Seton Hall to a Sweet 16 in 2000. And 
he did the post-game interview with Gary Cohen and Dave Popkin, two goats, in my opinion, uh, on the radio. Willard just didn't have it in him to do it because he was emotional. So Shaw went out and did there. Um, and me, Tom, and Dan were out there, and we talked to Shaw, and you're like, hey, you know, you know, thank because he helped play a role in getting us tickets out to Wichita to the game. We got the transportation, all that, but he got us in. He helped get us in the building, and that's what mattered. And you know, we thanked him for that. And I knew it was all worth it when he said, you know, you, you know, I want to thank you guys too because you you played as much of a part in the rebirth of the scene hall basketball as me and the guys on the court. I want you to know that, and don't think it went unnoticed. And I think by then, I kind of saw writing on the wall, too, because about a month later, Shaw took the head coach job at St. Peter's. Fred Hill retired, who was an assistant coach. And, you know, you see all the, you know, this, all the seniors graduating and a bunch of other guys. You could tell I knew it was an, the end of an era, and I, and I knew it, too, when on graduation day, um, I got my diploma. I'm crossing the stage, and out of nowhere comes Freddie Hill. And, you know, he shakes my hand, gives me, gives me a big hug. Timmy, thank you for everything. We're going to miss you here. And I was like, fuck, I'm not going to cry today. Stop making me, like, I don't, I didn't want to cry and all on that day, but Freddie Hill, Freddie Hill made me cry. And I, I, Freddie Hill is one of those guys that, you know, he's very crass, brash, if you will. And he's not really one to get emotion out of you. But in that particular instance, because I guess it was so unexpected, he, he got it out of me and he got it out of me pretty damn good. But yeah, the, but in terms of, you know, the overall legacy of that 2016 Seton Hall team, all the success that they've seen since then, you could all trace it back to 2016. I knew this was going to be fun, but this was a way more fun than I was imagining. So <laughs> love to hear it. that's why I want to run it back. Yeah, we'd love to have you, yeah. I played in an intramural game that went to seven overtimes. (laughs) Jesus. Yeah, and it was about as against a bunch of priests. And I thought I hit the game-winning three in, like, the fourth overtime. Like, I'm just, you know, like, like, I'm just, you know, like, ice in the veins, ice in the veins. And then this priest pulls up from, like, half court and just sinks it. I'm like, you want these guys to win, don't you, God? (laughs) Like... I mean, he's got it out for us. Like, come on. Like, like I had to, I had to look up. I'm like, oh my God, why are you doing this to me, man? So, so, so who won? Priest did. Of course they uh, did. Of course. Of they course. got it because they got they, they had a six man on the court. Or up in the heavens for that. <laughs> Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.